I grew up not far from here in a red brick home at French's Forest and one morning as a teenager I woke up to the smell of smoke in my bedroom. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before but I was quite uh, concerned thinking there's a fire in the house. You could tell it's, it really smelled like something was burning and I got up and uh, I think mum was up and we were looking around the house trying to find something on fire in our house. This is scary and I went onto the, the front veranda and across the road, the house across the road was ablaze. The, the smoke, the, the fire was pouring through the, uh, the tiles and it was actually the Fijian consulate house and there were a bunch of them out the front on the lawn. They didn't know what to do. And so I remember thinking, oh, better go and phone um, the fire brigade just in case. And I did and the fire brigade turned up. Um, I don't know if you've ever been through that. I haven't myself in my house, but it would be a very scary thing. Now, we live in the Bushland Shire, so I imagine most of us are fire ready. Yes? A lot of us are. So you know what you would grab if the f a fire came to your house. Yes? So I don't know what's in your list. Passport, computer, kids, not in that order. <laughs> but um, you know what to grab. Well, the teachers of the law in the first century have been listening to Jesus teach and they are actually somewhat impressed with what he has to say. So one of them comes to Jesus in Mark 12, 28 and says, Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? In other words, if the library full of the commandments of God was on fire, and you had to race out that door to save your life, and everything's going to go up in flames, what commandment are you grabbing on your way out of the library of the commandments of God? And he says the obvious one, the Shema, the Holy Prayer of Israel, Deuteronomy 6.5. You'd grab that one for sure. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he's a bit cheeky. He slips in. I'd grab another one too. I'd grab two on the way out. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you do the two, you'll know how to serve and honour God. Love God with everything you've got, heart, mind, soul and strength. And love everyone the way you love yourself. Well, we mentioned before we're in this series based on the video curriculum, Jesus the Game Changer. And we're asking the question, how did the life and teaching of Jesus in the first century affect us 2,000 years later? And the subject matter is this idea of care. What did Jesus say or do, model, teach, that is still resonating throughout the world? You may or may not know this, but hospitals social welfare, care for the dying, it actually all comes from the teachings of Jesus and the early church. Let me ask you a question that's not a trick question in a church. Who's the most compassionate individual who ever lived? Yeah, I don't know if you would actually shout out Jesus as your first answer. You might question, was he? Just keep thinking and you'll end up at a cross and then you'll know. Jesus is the most compassionate and caring individual who ever lived. And that's wonderful news, amen? Because that's our God. That's what God's like. You may not know what God is like until he comes and shows us, but he has done that and we do know he is unbelievably 
caring and compassionate. You don't actually have to go too far in the New Testament to find this truth. And I just want to have a look at some portions of the Scripture in the New Testament that that show what Jesus is like. Mark chapter 1 verse 40 tells us, A man with leprosy came to Jesus, begs him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant has his sense of justice and the effect of the fall of sin on the world. and He doesn't like what he sees. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Other people won't touch you because you're untouchable. But I'm willing. Touch, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. In Mark chapter 5, there's a terribly demon-possessed guy um, Chapter 5, verse 1 says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. What a predicament. Jesus cared more than he was scared. So he loves the man and heals him, sets him free. Mark chapter 9, he has compassion on a tormented son of a desperate father. It's like he, he sees the father and the son and he connects with both of their plights. And uh, this guy can't get any help from anywhere. Mark chapter nine seventeen. a man in the crowd answers, Teacher, uh, I, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't. With compassion, Mark chapter 9 says, Jesus heals the boy. Matthew chapter 20, two blind people are there. They cry out to Jesus, um, help, help. And the, and the crowd says, be quiet. We don't want to hear from someone like you, these two blind men. But the scripture says Jesus has compassion on them and touches their eyes and heals them. Can you imagine being blind and then getting your sight? I think that's a transformed life. Jesus cares, opens blind eyes. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him as he approached the town gate. A really troubled person comes along. A dead person is carried out. But it's not just the dead person. It's it's the, the mother who's already a widow, but now she's lost her only son. The only son of his mother, she's a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Isn't that a beautiful picture of a God who created the universe? There's a woman who's lost a husband, lost a son. What's God in human flesh like? Scripture says his heart went out to her and he said something odd, don't cry. And he went up and touched the buyer. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up, began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother because Jesus cared for people. We could go on for hours. Seriously, we could just go on. The Gospels are full of these stories of Jesus caring and doing something about it, acting. 
and caring and healing and caring and bringing life transformation. So one question to ask is why does he care? Why does he care so much? Is anyone good at something here? Put your hand up if you're good at something. I, where's Daniel? That's where I remember. Is Daniel here? He is good at chess. I played him last night and he beat me three times. <laughs> is anyone good at something? Surely. Where's lots of us we're good at? So when you're good at something, have you noticed that you can tell when someone else isn't so good at something? That's why he saw a sucker coming when he played me. He'd <laughs> say, don't do that, Pastor. You will lose your queen. <laughs> I've already done it, mate. You should have told me before I did the move. <laughs> when you're good at something, you, you know what makes good. Because you, you, you're interested in it. You know the detail. You pick up on subtle variations and, and the nuances of the game or the process so Jesus is really good at caring. What do you think he picked up on? What, what were the details that he was noticing that many of us don't pick up on? I, I think it's simply this. Every human being he sees, he sees in a particular frame that says, this person is made in the image of God. And when you get that, it changes everything. So he cares. He seemed to be able to just care for people no matter what their skin color was, their age, their status, their health, even sin. He taught to not sin. He knows that the Father can't look at sin, but somehow God in human flesh went to sinners to save them. He can look through it and see the potential of every human being. He would see a leper and a prostitute and a beggar a tax collector, a non-Jew, and he would think, wow, God my Father, Psalm 8, you have crowned this one with glory and honour. You've made this one ruler over the works of your hands. You've put everything under the feet of this one, this creature that I see before me who's at present disguised as a leper or a tax collector or a prostitute, he would treat everyone like they were wearing a crown. Like they were children of royalty. Christian writer George MacDonald often wrote about princesses and someone would ask him, why do you, why do, you do that so much? And he says, because every little girl is a princess. And he wasn't just being metaphorical about it, he was saying, if you think about it, a princess is the daughter of a king, a prince is the son of a king, and every human being has the capacity by faith to be a child of the king, a child of God. Now, the idea of being a prince or princess may not quite stir you as much as a preacher might expect. But, you know, I was watching the Invictus Games opening um, a month ago, I guess, maybe, and I was struck in the, the pre-video talking about Prince Harry's journey who started this game for um, uh, disabled veterans of war. And, uh, and I was really impressed that Prince Harry got into his 30s. He'd been a bit of a wild 
child and he gets into his 30s and he's been in the military himself and he, he has this realisation, a revelation that not everyone is the prince of England. Not everyone has this birthright that he didn't earn but he just was given that carries enormous positional power and he thought, I would be better off harnessing this undeserved power for good rather than squander it. Well, the Bible says that by faith we are made children of God, children of a king, princes and princesses who carry power and responsibility and are called elsewhere ambassadors of Christ. It's who we are. And it's part of why Jesus cares for us so much because he sees that value. He understood the value of people and this is key, I think, in him living out these two great commandments of loving God and neighbour. So you're running for your life out of a burning house of commandments and the two that you grab are love God with everything and love neighbour as yourself. And I mentioned before the love God with everything comes from Deuteronomy 6.5. So it's deeply within the, the heart teaching of the people of Israel, which is the Old Testament But the second one is deeply ingrained there in the heritage of Israel as well. It comes from Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. What we're suggesting today is that caring for people is from the Old and New Testaments. Amen. It's deeply there, right back in what seems like a very barbaric, primitive time when the Ten Commandments were given. God was still saying, love God and love your neighbour like yourself. It was always there. Um, We've talked about the Big Four before. Anyone remember the Big Four? It sounds like a caravan park, but it's actually the widows, the orphans, the refugees and the poor. Jesus' heart. The widows, the orphans, the refugees... And the poor goes on and on about this throughout the Old Testament. And the reason that God had to keep reminding the people was, what do you think? Why? Keep forgetting. People forgot the heart of God. People forgot these people because they were sort of forgettable. They didn't um, have that prestige and, and power and something to give back to you if you looked after them. World history tells this horrible story that those big four have been maltreated throughout the centuries because people don't care but God's heart was always that the people of Israel would care and so it's all the way through the teaching from the historical books and the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophetic writings and it comes all the way through till Malachi the last book and then there's this 400 years of waiting for the Messiah the anointed one to come, the chosen saviour of the world, the one who would actually perfectly fulfil everything the Old Testament said Israel should do. Perfect Israel. So they're waiting for 400 years. And then along comes Jesus, Messiah. And the world is waiting longer, 30 more years. The angels are waiting. He has to be 30 because it's the age you are to be a Jewish rabbi, so people would listen to your teaching. And so he's waited till 30 years old, and then he gets baptized, and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah the prophet, and the heart of God for the poor, the two great commandments, love God, 
love your neighbor as yourself, that heart for the other person comes out in the first thing he reads as the mandate that he reads as Messiah. He takes the scroll of Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus launches his ministry by announcing that he has a mandate on this ministry to care. Hallelujah. That's, that's where it all comes from. To care for people with agape love. That's an eternal God-fueled love. To care with a passion for justice, to set captives free, to proclaim the year of the Jubilee. That's his, every 50 years, set all the debts free. Um, change it up. And from that passage, we see that at least he has a face towards those who were poor and marginalized and needy. So then he lives his perfect life, dies his perfect death, rises again from the grave, sends his spirit to empower his church to continue his mission, both spiritually and physically in our bodies, to do what he said he was on about, to take the good news to those who need it, to care. And so the church has been charged with the mandate and given the power of the Spirit and the gospel to keep caring in Jesus' name. And the early church grappled with how to do that. How do you do it in reality? How do you, how do you live out the two great commandments, love God and neighbor? And they found the answer in Matthew 25. These are Jesus' words. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and um, did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. It's that classic passage where Jesus is saying, as you do it to your neighbor, you do it unto me. There's this link in loving God and loving neighbor. How do you love God? Well, you can do it straight to him, but a lot of loving God is by loving the image of God in the neighbor. Amen? As we do it to the neighbor, <clears throat> as we love them, we are loving Christ. Colossians 3.23 puts it this way, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So we can love neighbor as a way of loving God. As unto Christ. We care as unto Christ. So, what effect did this sort of approach to living have on the church throughout history? How have we gone as a church in this broad scope of the last 2,000 years? Well, very quickly, the video talks some about this and um, a, um, a film that many of us saw um, called The Love of God, For the Love of God, talked about these things. So, Jesus has died, the Spirit has come, the church is on fire, the church is going for it, growing, and then persecution comes, and we come into the second century. It's about 165 AD, and there's an epidemic. It's probably smallpox, and it's wiped out between a quarter and a third of the population of Rome. And while the Romans run for their lives from the plague, what do the Christians do? Not every one of them, but many of the Christians decide, decide to stay to help the sick. 
That was revolutionary yeah. care. No one had even seen it done before. Another plague comes 250 AD, and again it wipes out around a third of the people living in cities across the Roman Empire. Can you imagine the panic? I mean, we don't have this much, like Ebola happened, and we're like, whoa, imagine if we could have a modern-day plague. And there have been places on earth in modern times that have experienced some of this, but it's nothing like in the past. And um, the Greek historian speaking about the plague of 250 AD Thucydides writes this about the response in Athens. They died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished through lack of any attention for care. So you imagine that. There's a plague going on and there is no care available. The bodies of the dying were heaped up one on top of the other because, you know, the Greek gods said nothing about an obligation for care. Isn't that an interesting point? The Greek gods are about power, um, you know, strength, submitting others, honour, respect, but they don't say you, you've got to care for one another. But history tells us that there was this little group 200 plus years after Jesus died and they remembered that they followed a man who would touch lepers. That's who their founder was. A man who told his disciples, go out and heal the sick. So another author, Dionysus, wrote this about the plagues. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbours and cheerfully accepting their pains. This is the church. It's full on, isn't it? The body of Christ. You can see why Jesus, um, Paul talks about us taking up in our body what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That the, the church is called to carry a cross and... And some of us would carry across that it would even mean we care unto the point of getting sick ourselves. In the 300s, a follower of Jesus by the name of Basil got, got the idea that lepers deserved better than being told to simply yell out unclean. Like that, surely we can do better than that. And uh, so he thought, what if we build a place to love and care for lepers? Okay, this isn't too far historically away from the Colosseum where gladiators are raised purely for blood sport. So Basil, um, towards Constantinople, which is around Istanbul, he's saying, you know, we, we, we should build, like, places. Of course, they didn't know they would end up being called hospitals. But we should, we, should, we should build places to care for lepers, but they don't have money. So you know what we should do? We should raise money to establish organisations to look after people who have no way of looking after themselves, like the, the lepers. And, and Basil has this great mate, a very strong friendship with this um, teacher, preacher, called Gregory of Nyssa. And he preaches one of the, the most famous sermons of that century about raising money for this dream to care for the lepers. And uh, Gregory said, lepers have been made in the image of God. 
Jesus glory some of you are sitting there going yeah it's a nice thing to say in a church but don't think that's what, the, what really the history is go and look it up this is why Carl Faye's put the video together because he said most people sit there saying yeah in a church you'd probably say that and it preaches it's a great thing it's not true but but what the thesis is is it is true have a look at it and that fills us with a good sense of pride in our King Jesus He's a game changer. At the Council of Nyssa, the early church said, and that's, so that's Constantinople, Istanbul, they said, wherever there's going to be a major church or cathedral, there has to be a hospice. So this is how the world is changing. A place where the sick and the poor can be cared for. That's why hospitals so often are called things like the Good Samaritan or the Good Shepherd. Because the world's first voluntary charitable institutions were created because of the inspiration of Jesus. Hallelujah. Have they done good? Yes, of course. Um, there was a follower of Jesus who lived in the 19th century by the name of Henry Dunant. And he couldn't stand the sound of the soldiers crying out on the battlefield after they'd been wounded. So he said he would devote his life to helping them in Jesus' name. He started an organisation, starts with a colour. Anyone know what it is? Yeah, the Red Cross. He went on to become the first recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, that guy. Once again, we could go on and on and on. Because there is so much proof in history, the early church and the church throughout the centuries followed the example of their Lord and Saviour. And did they get it wrong sometimes? Absolutely. Yes, they fought battles in the name of Jesus and said justified things and have up until the present day in the name of Jesus. And of course the Lord is like, I didn't give you that example. But I did give you the example to love in my name to the point of death. Love to the point of death. Jesus cared with agape love. This is an eternal God-shaped love. And the, the early church did as well. And the church throughout history did. So I wonder what that means for us, Northern Life. We have a great opportunity of... Um, a fresh gust of air in our sails as a church. I think a ministry centre has got to help us for a while, for a while. I guess we'll all get bored after a while if we don't do a good job. But hopefully, you know, this amazing $11.5 million new centre, um, we can offer up with our very best efforts and say, God, could we be part of you doing something based out of that and if we really don't need a building well you can lead us on we give it away to somebody but please don't make us do that lord <laughs> we really love a new church building um, but there's so much opportunity that we have and of course as individuals we we get to share uh, to to care 
And isn't it so great to see two examples of people with a passion for caring, but it looks different. It's manifested differently. Spiritual gifting, um, the, the education we have, the family of origin shaping, our natural abilities, it all goes to this living, breathing person who's made in the image of God that's available as an ambassador for Christ to do whatever he wants us to do. What does it mean for us? How are we going to love our community and our world as Northern Life into the future? Our prayer is, God, show us how. Our prayer is, God, we can't do everything. The temptation would be to bite off too much. But what would we do? What's our part that we can play for the next little season and what we're going to call the first 1,000 brave days. When we launch for 1,000 brave days, how do we care? What are we meant to do? And caring can't just, just be putting a bandage on, can it? Like we want to point people to a saviour. We want to say, you know, we can help you out of this mess, or, but make sure you find Jesus or you're going to die and you will actually not live forever you're going to miss out on what jesus died to give us eternal life i have a good friend um, i've often spoken about him he's an emergency doctor and a real character a very uh, passionate evangelist and uh, he was telling me one day as, a, as an emergency doctor he was so chuffed that he got to save a life he often does it but this one particular time this guy's died and they get the charge on and they get him back and get the oxygen in, whatever they do, which Rachel would know, but I don't. Um, they get him back to life. And that day at lunch, he went to his lunch and thought, a bit of a lifesaver, you know. That was pretty good. And straight away, he felt this conviction from the Lord. He felt like Jesus said to him, yeah, you know, you, you resuscitated that guy. Go and tell him about me now. It's like, whoa, okay, yeah, he will die again. So that's a challenge to us. We, we want to care in Jesus' name and, and avoid shoving the Bible down people's throats. It's just good to just care. But the heart of our ministry is gospel-shaped, amen? So we care and we point to Jesus. We love God, we love neighbor, we love neighbor, and we make sure they work out how to love God. So may our care be deeply human at Northern Life, meeting people at their point of need, and may we also lead people to a saviour so that they can truly know and love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. Lord Jesus, we do give you all the praise this morning because it's the only thing we could do. You're so worthy of our praise. You did everything that you said you would do in the reading out of Isaiah. Luke chapter 4. You made a way to set the captives free. And we're challenged by your overwhelmingly sacrificial and caring, compassionate life. We offer our lives up and as a church that we might be a vessel through which you can love the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.